Welcome to Your Great Story Podcast, where we chat with founders, leaders, and changemakers to learn about their journey to make the future a reality. I'm Eric, your friendly host. Follow us on where you are tuning in or find us on any social media channels to catch highlights and snippets of our episodes. Let's be inspired by the stories while you create your great story. All right, we are back on our next episode of Your Great Story podcast. We are wrapping up the NOC Alumni series with a few veterans uh, and investors to share with us uh, more insights, especially on what startups should look out for when looking for funding. And today I am extremely excited to have Tiang Lim on the show with us. Hi, Tiang. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Definitely a joy to have you join us today. Uh, and thanks again for having me on your newsletter, That's in Tech. For listeners out there, if you are a dad and you are in tech, please, please go check out That's in Tech on Substack. Really, really love the sharing from the fellow dads out there. Uh, and if you are an entrepreneur and you don't know Tiang Lim, I would be super surprised. Um, I'm going to take a quick pause, right? And have Tiang share more about himself uh, with us. On to you, Tiang. Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, that's quite an introduction. Thank you for having me, Eric. Um, and, uh, yeah, and it's nice seeing you because, uh, like we chatted, you know, right before you hit the record button, we've not seen each other for a few years now, right? I remember we met when, uh, you were just embarking on the NOC journey, you know, figuring out which location to go. And eventually, I think you went to Silicon Valley, right? Um, yeah, no, and I'm I'm pretty sure you had a good experience as I did, right? We can talk more about it later, but you know, for sure, it's one of the best things I've you know, done, right, out of uh, NUS. So that's great. A bit about myself, as uh, you know, we've alluded to, I graduated NUS, mm-hmm. went on to the NOC program uh, at Stanford in Silicon Valley, uh, spent a year there. Unlike most other folks doing my cohort and maybe subsequent cohorts, um, my major was actually in mechanical engineering. I think same as you too, right, Eric? Uh, you, you're also a mechanical engineering major. That's right. And uh, I was also one of the few who actually did mechanical engineering work, you know, <laughs> when I was there. I was working in a medical device uh, company, which was doing work for other bigger medical device companies doing R&D in stents and catheters, right? And I was, you know, doing R&D on manufacturing processes that design those uh, stents and catheters, which are devices that you put into your heart for certain procedures like angioplasty and what have you, right? It was cool. I had a lot of fun, you know, just like, you know, putting things together, trying not to blow things up. You know, <laughs> uh, it was it was really cool. It was really fun. Um, and then came back and uh, joined a startup to uh, you know work on payments. I was the uh, PM for the product. Right, work on that on a couple for a couple of years. We raised um, Series A. It was branded a Series A, which is kind of coin right now because <laughs> it is million dollars. Today is probably like an angel round, but back then, you know, the investors, they wanted to brand it as a series A, so we did a series A, right? Work on it for a couple of years, learned a lot, made a lot of mistakes, and, uh, you know, didn't do well, unfortunately, but that's fine. After that, joined a company called uh, Evernote, the note-taking software, started the Singapore office, you know, built a team, launched a product here, 
and subsequently managed the region uh, over over a four year period, and and did an interesting career switch. Right, uh, again, like as you alluded to, I'm now a, a venture investor. That happened when I left the company toward the end of 2015, and joined a firm called Jungle Ventures out here in Singapore, and launched a fund called Seed Plus with uh, Jungle. Right. In short, you know, we raised about twenty million to invest in、uh, Southeast Asia and India, and as the name suggests, we invested mostly in、uh, seed stage companies across the region. Couple of names that some of your audience might be familiar with, right?、Uh, we we led the seed investment into companies like Moglix in India, you know, which is now like a unicorn multiple times over. Company called Koala is an insurtech company in Jakarta. I'm still on the board of the company, which is being a great journey there. Homage, you know, here in Singapore, right?、Uh, Jilin's a force of nature. She's done, you know, fantastic work. Rukida, right?、Uh, it's a co-living platform.、Mm-hmm. And、uh, Neuron Mobility, Engage Rocket, Carda, which we exited to funding societies earlier this year. So yeah, I think we've done some, you know, good work there. Made some good investments there. And、uh, what ended up happening was that, you know. Twenty twenty, I was exploring raising my another seed fund. Right,、um, I believe everyone had a COVID story. Now I'm sure you did. I had a COVID story. Right,、uh, mine was that you know I was exploring raising a seed fund. I was talking to a few investors, potential co-founders, and April twenty twenty came along, and the world just went sideways. Right,、mm. uh, borders started closing, and I you know decided that it's just not the right time. You know.、Um, In hindsight, it was a blessing in disguise because、uh, at that time my son was barely two years old and、uh, my wife was still working, and it became a bit of an enforced sabbatical situation for me. And I get to spend so much time with the kid, you know, Monday to Friday, nine to five, right? When he started preschool, I was bringing him to to school every day, bringing him back from school every day, showering him, cooking dinner, feeding him, play with him. It was nice, you know. I, we spent a lot of time together. And、uh, along the way, you know that experience really inspired me to start a newsletter that you know, as you mentioned, it's called Dads in Tech. I wonder what Dads in Tech does. <laughs> it's quite <laughs> obvious, right? So it's about dads in technology, right? Uh, uh, it's on Substack, so check it out. Dads in Tech. dot Substack. dot com. Uh, I interview fathers working in the technology sector broadly. You know, they are founders, they are VCs, they are they are PMs, they are you know software engineers. You know, from Silicon Valley to Korea to Japan to Singapore, Indonesia. So it's a pretty diverse、uh, group, and I learned a lot right through that process. So that's one of the projects that I ended up launching during the pandemic, and I had a lot of fun doing it. You know, but long story short,、uh, you know. Very luckily, met Casper, my co-founder, along the way, right? You know, and、uh, started talking to some potential LPs, and co-founded Forge Ventures last、uh, year and raised Fund One of、uh, 24 million. Couple of headlines here: Southeast Asia,、uh, pre-CNC is what we look at, look to do. We lead rounds, we take board seats, with the goal of building a portfolio of let's say 50 to 20 companies from the fund. We've made、um, a couple of investments so far.、Um, the last publicly announced company is a company called Headquarters dot XYZ. It's a Web three, you know, play. And、uh, Sharon, the founder, was ex、um, PayFast, ex First. 
So yeah, that's who I am in a nutshell. That's uh, what I've been doing over the past decade, right? Ever since NOC, you know, I had always been in startups, entrepreneurship, product, and now venture. Wow, uh, what an introduction and what a journey uh, from doing biomedical devices um, to PM in a payment startup to Evernote and then to uh, investments and, and yeah, and being a, being a dad. So um, that is a very, very holistic introduction, I would say. Just take a step back, right? So, so how would you share what you do to your kid? Oh, that, that's a hard thing. Uh, <laughs> it's a really complicated thing. I can't, I don't think my mom understands what I do for a living, you know? And it's funny, like, uh, there's this one time he, so I have a son, he's, he just turned four years old last month. And uh, in his little world, when I go to work, it's, it's just a matter of taking out a iPad and start typing away, right? That's working, you know? So I find it really hard to like explain to him what I do for a living at the at the moment because uh, that's his concept, right? But uh, you know, in in simple terms, what I do is uh, I try to finance um, high growth tech companies in you know, the region, right? Mm-hmm. And and the way I do that is by investing capital in these companies and and try to help them fulfill their fullest potential right mm. i think what excites me uh, on a daily basis it's you know I, working with founders that are literally at the forefront of um, uh, innovation and value creation it sure doesn't feel like that way day to day but if you if you look back and i give myself permission sometimes to look back right the portfolio companies you know that have grown so far investments I've made in the past three to five years, right? It will always dawn on me that uh, I'm incredibly fortunate to be able to see the future just a few years earlier than what most of the population is able to see, right? Mm. When I invested in Koala, it's the insurtech company in Jakarta. It was literally just Harshit and Tommy, two of them with a, with a deck, right? Today they are I think seven, eight hundred people company, right? In Indonesia, Malaysia, Vietnam, Singapore, you know, they are selling, they are, they are educating the, a lot of uh, emerging market population about what the concept of insurance even is, right? Mm-hmm. And now they are transacting and pushing products in all these regions, right? And you no, know, I saw that, right? But slightly, and I was able to see that slightly earlier than the rest of the population, mm-hmm. which is cool, you know? So. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. I mean, going in at the beginning and helping them to grow, I think that is very, very fruitful and inspiring. Let's talk about, you know, um, that's in tech for a bit, right? So just really curious, what got you what got you started? Yeah, no, I was just having this conversation with uh, another friend of mine yesterday. A um, couple of reasons, right? Uh, number one, it's... Um, like I mentioned earlier, is the inspiration of me spending time with my son, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that scenario. Um, so just a, a bit of a personal history here. My dad passed away when I was very young, right? So growing up, I didn't quite have a father figure that I spent time with, right? Let alone learn from, at least mimic how to be a dad, you know? So a lot of... Uh, my anxiety, if you will, really comes from that gap in 
hey, I don't have a reference point, right, on how to do right by my son. So I started having that conversation with a lot of friends around me, you know, that are slightly ahead of me in terms of their uh, journey in life and especially journey in fatherhood. And I benefited a lot from those conversations, right? Like, you know, from very minute, small things like, oh, you know, what to feed the kid to like, how do you think about screen time to uh, what kind of values and principle, the bigger ticket items, right? And I find that a lot of these conversations are personally valuable, which are not easily found online, right? And I found myself wondering if I could at least archive this for posterity for my own sake, if not share it with the wider community, right? So that that became a, a bit of a motivation for me to, to really start that newsletter. The other more nerdier uh, motivation was uh, I was investigating what the, uh, you know, some creator economy tools, you know, that are starting to emerge like Substack, Ghost, Beehive, right? I mean, Medium is also kind of kind of something that, you know, uh, is still there. So, so what better way than use those tools yourself, right? So, you know, some of this, a little, these things added up and it's just like started experimenting. Mm-hmm. Became a bit of a creative outlet for myself as well, which was really nice. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for sharing your uh, personal story uh, of why you why you started Desintech. Uh, just like to learn from others as well. I think something really common uh, for myself is personally as well in this podcast is I get to learn from you. So I get to learn from the guests as well uh, in terms of experience and, and learnings. And kind of good segue to the annual services program. Yeah. If come to think of it, if I didn't meet you before I went to NOC, I would probably not be here today. Right? <laughs> I mean, I would probably There's a lot of responsibility. Oh. <laughs> in, in a way, in a way of the whole experience of like, uh, I remember you telling me that, Eric, just, just go. Like you wouldn't regret yeah. it. Just yeah. go and right? experience it. And, yeah. and that's what I did. I went to the uh, SV for a year, experienced it, came back. Really, really great experience working in startups and in tech and in product. So, and thanks for that from a personal front. So, on the experience, right? I would like you to share with your audience, uh, you know, a little bit more about this program. And, and how, how this whole one year stints, if you could reflect, right, help yeah. you in, in, in your journey? Oh, no. Uh, it's, uh, that single experience continues to pay dividends even to this day, right? Which is, again, like so rewarding, you know. It, it quite literally changed the trajectory of my career, right? Which is, you know, fantastic, right? I think for me, it was in a lot of sense of the word, pretty eye-opening, being physically there. And I think some historical context is important to this, right? I think it's good timing as well, for sure. I was there in 2009, right smack or after, if you will, uh, into the uh, global financial crisis, right? Not that it really impacted me. I was a poor student, so my net worth is zero anyway. <laughs> Negative even actually, so it doesn't matter, right? <laughs> so so it's, it wasn't impactful on that in on that front. But I think what's interesting is for that year was um because a few things started to converge in technology, right? Um, if you recall, you know, I think uh, the iPhone was launched in twenty oh seven or eight. I can't remember now, right? But the bigger deal for 2009 was the iPhone 3G was launched, you know, and along with it came the App Store, right? 
And that quite literally changed the entire you know, landscape of how people think about building software products and subsequently mm. startups. You know, it fundamentally changed uh, user behavior in very, very meaningful ways. It changed the distribution uh, of, of software. Hence, uh, you know, the total market size for a lot of uh, companies just fundamentally got restructured, right? It was being there at that time, right, that really was invigorating, if you will. You know, we get this, I got to see the app store, a lot of the apps being built. Obviously, 99% of them are just, you know, <laughs> trivial, if not fundamentally stupid apps, right? Which are fun, which are fun, fun, but dumb apps, right? You know, like, I remember there was like a beer app, you can just like drink, <laughs> if you, uh, like a candle app, you can blow, blow it out, right? Which is kind of cool, right? Novel, kind of gimmicky, but you know, trivial. Um, yeah. But what really struck me was uh, I downloaded, the only useful app I could find was Evernote. You know, mm. in fact, Marcus uh, was now at Carousel. He was the one who introduced me to Evernote, the apps. Hey, uh, check out this app. Downloaded it. I was like, oh, this, this is cool, right? Because immediately before that, to sync data between your phone and your laptop, remember like the Nokia days, you have to point your IR blaster oh. to like, your, your window and then you have to align it in a straight line, right? Um, that's, that's syncing, right? You know, and you know, Dropbox was just coming out. So, in 2009, right? And Evernote just made everything so easy, right? You can sync content from your phone to your laptop to the web and, and then back, right? And it's like, that opened up a lot of um, imagination and possibility in what technology could really do, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, like, and then I think around the same time, WhatsApp happened as well, right? You started to realize that a lot of things are starting to change, right? So I was very fortunate to be in the NOC program at that time at the place where all of these are happening literally in that spot physically, you know. So, and being around, being around people, being around ideas, the energy around entrepreneurship, right? That was really, really eye-opening, right? Mm. A couple of effects that it had on me, right? A is that it helped me understood there's a much bigger world out there, you know. And the bar to becoming world-class is not not here, but here and here, right? Mm. Which is, you know, really eye-opening, right? And the second thing is that, uh, the second effect it had on me was uh, a lot of these larger-than-life figures that you read on the news, on blogs, right? When you finally meet them as people, of course, they're great and intelligent and all that, but they're people, right? And you realize that, hey, actually, they are, these are hu- human beings. It, does, it means that you could, you could do it too, right? The distance is actually not that far apart, right? Only if, if you allow yourself, if you give yourself permission to do it, you can actually do it, right? So yeah, I think that's, that's the lasting effect that it had on me, you know? And I came back and of course, it's quite a journey to get to, you know, where I am today. And then the, the journey is pretty far still, right? Mm. But I think, you know, that philosophy really helped me just I think about career and life quite differently, you know, and it was nothing short of, you know, like I said earlier, right, trajectory changing, right. And of course, like the networks, the friends I made, the people that I met, the network that I've built, it com- continues to compound, so. Mm, definitely, definitely. I think um, there's a really, really good point there that there is a bigger world out there. I mean, Singapore is so small, 
I mean, Southeast Asia as well, right? I mean, uh, and again, going out to to US, uh, to China, and 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 the colleges in generally, right? To when you were still in school, I think it's such an eye opener, right? To understand nothing is impossible in a way, right? I mean, the co-founders of big tech firms are still like like you and I, like human beings. They are not like Superman, right? Yeah. <laughs> so that's the second yeah. point I mentioned. That is really really valid. So yeah. just just one more question on the on the NOC experience before we go to the next topic is is during this one year stint there's so many things happening right so many mm. events you go to like you know pizza parties with a lot of founders and tech firms um what is one event or, or activity that you still remember right during this one year stint mm. i actually did not go to a lot of parties which was one regret i had i <laughs> should have studied less oh. uh, be sl- a little less responsible <laughs> you know uh, and go to more parties, you know, and just like live a little, you know. Um, but I would say that, uh, you know, some of the talks and conferences that I attended, they they were cool, right? Yeah. But for me, just like personally by happenstance, um, the reason I got to know Evernote, besides being a, a, a fan and a user, is uh, I met one of the co-founders at a tech conference. Tech one of the conferences anyway yeah n- n- maybe tech con- i can't remember which conference to be quite honest uh uh but he was speaking he was speaking at a conference right i <laughs> i have fanboy tendencies you know so i said oh he's speaking at a conference that's so cool uh can i speak to him so i i hustled my way to the front uh got his business card and just say you know love your product and, and that's it right and then after the conference you know, I saw that there's a phone number on the business card. And it's like, you know, people give you, what's the point of having a, a phone number on business card when people can't call you? So I called him and say, hey, Matt earlier, huge fan. Can I come over to the office to get some t-shirts and stickers, you know? <laughs> so, so he was like, Swags. Ah, yeah, sure. Why don't you come over tomorrow? We're having burritos for lunch. It's burrito Wednesdays. You know, at that time, Evernote's office is a uh, out of a warehouse in Mountain View. So I drove myself over on his invitation, uh, had Mexican food for lunch, met all the other co-founders, had some, uh, got some t-shirts and stickers and, you know, <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's it, right? You know, and fast forward, and these are things that, you know, you can only... It's a little bit of cliche, but I think Steve Jobs said it quite well, right? Is that you can only connect the dots looking backwards. And this was definitely one of those dots, right? That fast forward a few years later, I think they raised that series A or B. I can't remember. Uh, that was led by Sequoia. Started doing quite well. And they were looking toward Asia. And one of them said, hey, don't we know a kid from Singapore? Why don't we give you a call? Right, so I got that call, and uh, the rest is history. Yeah, I joined the team and all that. So, wow, wow! From a fanboy who who, who went to the office uh, to eat burritos and get stickers and t-shirts, um, to helping them to set up office in Singapore and the region, and and now investing. That's that's yeah. pretty pretty solid. And let's switch gears to to investments, right? Let's switch gears to investing. So tell us a bit more, right, uh, about your investment principles and, and what are the common traits of the companies, you know, you invest in? Yeah. So I am primarily a seed investor. Usually, you know, we're the first money in or first institutional money in, 
right? Uh, the company. What does that mean? That means very typically companies are really young. The products very early. Maybe you have some customers, some revenue if you're working on a B two B product, but um, you're definitely not yet at product market fit stage, right? So, and we've even invested as early as just a few people with a deck, as I mentioned, or just a person with an idea, right? That early, you know. So that's that's the context, right? Which means at that stage, there really isn't a lot of data to look at, even if you have a financial model. It's mostly L no P anyway, right? There's no P and L, so to speak, yeah. you know. So what does that mean? It means that a lot of it really is about the people, all right? It's quite literally, you know, about us looking for exceptional founders to back. Then one has to ask, what does exceptional mean, right? Uh, there are some hygiene criteria. I mean, ethics being one of them. You have to, I think, always have a decent level of intelligence to do something meaningful, right? High EQ as well. If not, it's hard to relate to people. It's hard for you to fundraise. It's hard to hard for you to recruit, right? Mm. To build a team. I mean, and all those, right? Mm. But I think for me especially, you know, I some of the best founders I work with they relate to the problem at hand that the problem statement that they've stumbled upon and they relate to that on a very authentic and personal you know level you know what i mean by that right sometimes you hear people saying that oh some of the best founders they build products and solutions that they themselves want to they have right they want to solve their own problem that's one expression of being of authenticity you know it manifests itself as a way of deeply caring about the problem that they're solving, right? Mm. And I think that's very important. Why? Because startups are very, very hard, you know? They're very, very hard. And they don't get any easier, even post-product market fit, even when you're at series C, D, E, name whatever alphabet. It's just, you know, it continues to be hard, you know? And the reason why I think some founders could stay the course for that long persevere and scale with the company at the crux of it uh, is because these founders they have a personal care right to the problem they're trying to solve in a very authentic way you know and i think that's something that is quite special i look out for you know i try to work with founders that are passionate about the problem they're trying to solve right and uh, the other keyword is grit right you know which is the title of this podcast you know grit Grit is passion meets uh, perseverance, right? So the other side of the equation is perseverance. Uh, the best founders are very tenacious. I wouldn't say they never say never, but they say never in a very smart way, right? You know, um, even when the going gets tough, they continue to push through. But when the going becomes impossible, you, you just stop wasting time, right? You know, so that's both an art and science to it, you know. So yeah, so I, I try to look out for these kind of characteristics, you know. Mm. Um, but of course, it's you know, more than that. There's a lot of subtleties to it, right? It's hard to reduce this to a framework or a science, you know. Because besides the people side, you, have, you also have to look at the, the quality of the idea, the market size, uh, the market timing, right? Sometimes we talk about uh, why this, why you, but the why now is especially important as well. Right. Mm. If you're too early to something, you fail. If you're too late to something, more competition, you also fail. Right. So the timing has to be just right. Right. And that's that's also very difficult. Right. 
So startups are tough. Uh, venture investing is also quite tough, you know, because of that. Um, yeah. Definitely. Um, very interesting. So, you know, back to my question, right? So I was asking commentaries of companies, right? But mm. your answer came back to commentaries of founders. Yeah. Right? Um, and, and kind of follow-up question is, do you invest, look more into founders, investing in founders, or you look into the problems they're solving? Right? Yeah. Yep. Or is it like a mix of both? I think you cannot do one without the other. You know, you cannot do one without the other. You you have to look at it as a holistic assessment, right? Mm. Because, you know, I think if you are building a very successful, you know, startup with a very successful outcome, we're trying to, in other words, we're trying to invest in exceptional cases here, right? We're not trying to invest in the average or the above average. We're trying to invest in exceptional outcomes, right? The problem with exceptional outcomes is that besides you needing to back exceptional founders, and these are founders who are very special, you also have to invest in exceptional ideas, you know? Mm. And this is where I think uh, the third component, which is market timing and some call it luck, right? And, you know, it's, it's a combination of, of both of them for sure. The stars really have to align to have an exception outcome, right? Mm. It's a probabilistic outcome. You try to stack the decks. You do that by backing good people, high quality ideas with in a large market. And, you know, you hope for the best. Wow. So I really love the point of, you know, finding exceptional founders, solving exceptional ideas slash problems, right? And, and having exceptional outcome, right? Um, that is a really good equation, to be honest. And really interesting point of why now, right? I think the timing is really, really something that is equally important as well. That kind of brings me to the next question, which is, you know, you, you fund these companies, they are pre-product market fit, right? So, so, and there's not much data to look at. So what are the key success indicators for these early stage companies to focus on to get their first round of, of funding? Yeah, there's this concept that is called the idea maze. I'm not sure if you've heard of it before. I actually cannot remember who, where I came across that concept before. I'm definitely not the originator of this, right? I'm less smart than that. But basically, the concept of idea maze states that, you know, any good idea is a result of you walking down enough wrong dead ends in a maze, right? That you manage to find minimal viable path from point A to point B so that the idea is at least plausible, right? And a great founder is someone who has, again, a deep, authentic care about the problem that he has spent enough energy, time in his waking hours walking through that idea maze to arrive at a plausible solution. And a lot of the founders that I work with have that kind of intensity, right? They really, really obsess about something and walk, maybe walk down one path, dead end, try another, dead end, try another, dead end, right? Sometimes even before writing a single line of code or, or, or you know, shipping the first single feature, right? They've already war game this in their head, you know? Um, but of course, nothing's certain, right? But you will find that founders which are successful tend to have that tendency, right? And in that level of intensity and obsession. And chances are, you know, is if you care that much about a problem, your chances of getting to product market fit is that much higher, right? So yeah, that's the discussion that we tend to want to have with founders. That's the dialogue that we have. 
And uh, our job as an investor is to make a judgment call on whether I believe in that path or not, right? And we're wrong a lot of the time, so. Mm -hmm. I mean, really interesting on that intensity of founders trying to find different ways to solve the problem. And, and really the problem is the core. Um, not the solutions, right? I think we all, it's a very PM thing, right? <laughs> it's not about the solutions, it's about the problem. You know, I think you mentioned about few founders, you know, that that have this intensity to solve a problem. Would you mind sharing one or a couple of mm. examples of founders yeah. doing that? Yeah, who comes to mind? So yeah, I think Joseph, which is the founder of Vouch, uh, Vouch is a uh, Singapore headquartered digital concierge solution for hotels, hospitality, businesses. Some of his clients are folks like Grand Hyatt, Pan Pacific, Frasers, right? And what's more impressive is that for a Singapore headquarter company, he now has customers in places like Korea, Australia, UK, uh, Indonesia, whatever, right? Uh, just globally. His story is actually pretty inspiring. Right? He started his uh, company. His first idea was, uh, if I recall correctly was a rewards program for retail shops hence the name vouch v-o-u-c-h that didn't that didn't take it didn't do well for various reasons co-founders left blah blah right try second idea moderate success but running out of money i think at one point he was telling me he had uh, less than 9k in his bank account and his third kid was on the way you know that's not our situation that's intense dude but I think, you know, and here's where I think uh, founders like him really shine, right? Is that he noticed a pattern, which is, you know, uh, he was building a chatbot at that time. Some of the highest, most engaged um, customers are hotels, right? Mm. And he noticed that and he pivoted. He made a call, he pivoted 100% into building solution for hotels. And that's where, you know, Vouch, as we know today, was born out of. Right. It's that intensity and, and obsession, you know, that led him to where he is today. And he continues to do well for his company, right? And the the inspiring thing for me here is that, you know, he really, really cares about the value that he brings for his customers, you know. Mm. And and that's a that's almost always a starting and an end point for him, right? And it's that level of obsession and intensity that I think has you know done him well yeah. wow um i i can't imagine the intensity of having nike left in the account balance and and having a turkey <laughs> coming out uh yeah, definitely yeah. Need joseph uh in, in this podcast uh i think i heard, heard about him a lot running vouch and all that uh really really interesting would be definitely would really, be really cool to have him on the podcast as well thanks thanks for sharing i think that is really insightful um just kind of wrap up a few questions you know as we kind of lead to a 45 minutes episode, right? So, so last three questions, right? So as you continue to invest, right? Um, any, what are the key focus of industries or verticals you're looking at? Yeah, um, we don't actually focus on any particular sector or industry by design. At Forge, we are sector agnostic. That having been said, most of my recent obsession, we talk about obsessions, right? So most of my recent obsession, it's in the future of finance so a lot of what i do and care about is fintech insuretech uh part of that bleeds into what's going on in web3 and crypto as well that's something that i spend a lot of time looking at as well mm. and also have this fundamental belief that there's a lot more still to be done in southeast asia 
right? Where large industries like agriculture or manufacturing or name another, you know, big industry here that's not exactly digitalized, right? Uh, there's a lot of opportunity for technology to, to play a very huge and impactful and positive role. Mm. That I think if we do well here, it can also be a globally relevant product, right? So my belief here is that in Singapore, Indonesia, in Southeast Asia in general, right, we are able to build globally relevant software products for the world and not just waiting for someone else to do it, we end up using it, right? Mm. And I'm on the, it's almost a mission, right, to find founders that I can back that's working on things like this, right? Mm. Uh, so that's my obsession, you know, mm. as it relates to what I look at for uh, as a as opportunities for tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. I'm always impressed, like you know, where where founders headquartered in Singapore and having presence in other countries, right? Big countries, right? US, UK, Europe, you know, you name it, they have it. Thanks for sharing. And just kind of taking one step back, right, to the whole one year experience in NOC back, right? Then, so what is one word or one phrase you could describe your experience? That's a good question. Let me think about it. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, th- I think for me, really, it's about what's one word? Yeah. Or can we phrase? Yeah, no, I think uh, I think one one lesson that I learned, especially if I really reflect on it, is to give yourself permission to be great, you know, because I think one of my reverse culture shock when I came back from uh, NOC, from the NOC program was that how restrained we all are right and in really stating out loud my passion what i want to do the things i deeply care about which might not be you know what the popular opinion is or it might not be in in resonant with the system right i remember it was definitely not cool to do startups you know let alone tech right Mm -hmm. most of my peers were looking for a job in management consulting investment banking not not that those are bad jobs you know very lucrative career you are very good at it but it almost creates like a social feedback loop that if you're not doing that you're not living up to your fullest potential right even though yeah i'm just a nerd i care about building products i care about startups right but that's not like the career to have Mm. you know and I'm glad that, you know, I didn't, did, I, I continue to just pursue what I like to do, right? And it can be summed up by, I actually give myself permission to explore and try to be good at it, you know? You don't have to wait for someone else to give you permission to do that, right? I think mm. uh, culturally, we're just so used to, can I please do X, you know, <laughs> right? But, but if you really think about it, you don't have to ask for permission to do anything, right? You know, you just like how you started the podcast. Right? No, one, no one gave you permission to start a podcast, right? You just did it, right? Mm. So, yeah, that's, that's something that I think uh, I, I actually learned, you know. Such an important life lesson, to be honest. So, so, so close to my heart as well. Just to wrap up last question as well, to wrap up, what is, you know, one piece of advice you would like to give to our listeners who are founders? Who are not getting term sheets signed? Oh, I talk to founders all the time, right? And one thing that I always try to be certain of is if there's alignment between us as venture investors and you as a founder, right? 
because a lot of the I think long-term downstream heartaches and headaches come from misalignment. I what I mean by that is you know sometimes uh, certain businesses are just not supposed to be funded by venture capital money, right? There's a specific reason why venture capital is looking for a certain outcome. You know, our our dollar is looking for a certain risk reward equation, right, to abide by. And if there's a misalignment between that time horizon and outcome, and your business, that's where you know our collective existence is not you know happy, right? It's not a happy one. It's also, I think, another way to say that getting a term sheet doesn't mean that you're successful, right? You know, one example that comes to mind is a uh, Mailchimp, right? From uh, I think they're from Atlanta, Georgia. Not the typical Silicon Valley story, right? Bootstrap to their way to become a multi unique unicorn multiple times over, right? Um, zero venture money, you know. Um, but it can be done, you know. It, it can be done, right? Um, I think the most important thing, if you are a founder, you that you have to ask yourself is, you know, what kind of company do you or business do you want to build, right? And what kind of life and outcome do you want to have, right? If you want to build a big business, you know, with a large impact, and you have a you have a path towards there, and you are okay with the stress, then you try to build a venture back company. That's fine, right? If not, you know, there are also other uh, very valid ways to build business that are less stressful. Uh, might take a little longer, maybe not as big of an outcome, but correspondingly the failure rate isn't as high you know that's valid too right mm-hmm. um so i think it's really about understanding that right uh, your definition of success is it a b or a plus b right or whatever you know yeah yeah that's a great point um really really love the point that getting term sheets doesn't mean that you know it's successful right and everybody is kind of unique everybody has a unique purpose in fact right or different um passion in different things as well so thanks for your time Tiang. this is a wrap and kind of going back to the point that you just mentioned just now really want to reinforce in that is giving ourselves permission to be greater and to make better and more impact in the world thank you Tiang, for the insights thank you thanks eric thanks for having me thank you for your time thank you for tuning in to your grits story podcast if you enjoyed this episode please share it with your friends Chase your dreams, live out your passion, and discover your great story.